Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. The sermon text for this morning is Philippians 4, 2 through 9. I entreat Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ashley. Let me pray for us. We'll get kicked off here. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for this weather. We praise you for just how abundantly you have blessed us through family and this church. I pray that you would be in the service, humbled this week, just hearing stories of war and wars beginning, and we've watched other nations already go through that this year. Most of us have never experienced war. We don't know what it means for, to not know where our family members are. Father, for those things to linger and trauma to arise, I pray that you would be there. I pray that as your church, we'd be faithful to pray and lift up not only your church, but just people around the world that we would be healing to the nations as your word says, as we pray and we live this life out faithfully. I pray that you would be the God of your people, whether that's in Russia or Israel or Gaza or here, that you are to be gloried, to be honored, to be praised. We trust you and we pray this through your son's name. Amen. Well, thank you for gathering. Uh, Ashley said it so confidently. I'm probably going to say these names differently and stumble upon them the whole time. But uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Carrie. I'm an elder at Christ Church. Hearing that song that Doran just was singing is so humbling for me because I first heard that song 36 years ago, probably as a baby uh, at Forestwood Baptist Church in Roman Forest. And then to hear it again later at Forest Cove and that used to meet in this building and then Second Baptist. And it's just really humbling to hear how faithful the Lord has been as we get to sing and really preach through the same thing over and over. This has been a 36 year long process for me and God is so beautiful and how he works and uses us. But as we open up, if you do have God's word in front of you, we'll be in Philippians four. 
And Paul, this whole time with the Philippians, has been pushing two ideas or two themes, and that's been joy and unity. And as he heads into this last chapter, it's the same heart. And he's going to close it here in chapter 4 with verses uh, 2 through the end. We're going to be in 2 through 9. And he's appealing directly to some issues that have surfaced today. And so just starting off in verses 2 through 3, Paul unashamedly uses these names that are hard to say. But I'm thinking as if we were have this letter written to us, or as I'm preaching and I just drop your name in the sermon and we just start discussing your issues, that would be frightening, right? Some of you would probably be like, I'm out. Like, we're out the door. But Paul, uh, he doesn't do this just to make it sting a little bit. It's not something that he even does often. He's been calling the church into unity. And so you wonder, probably at the end of this letter, why all of a sudden is there, it seems like something's wrong. Something has came up. And the language leading up to this point, it's been saturated in praise of their character, right? It's been a joyous letter, actually quite refreshing after coming off books like Galatians, right? That seemed just rough. And on short side, it seems like these two women may have, I don't know, crossed each other. We don't really know. We don't know if they were being petty. We don't know if they had a difference of opinion. We don't know if one of them was annoying the other or they had a long history together. All we are given is that they are not in agreement on the work that they are doing here in Philippians. And so Paul calls them to agree in the Lord. That's all we have to work with for them. And so this one verse is centered around these ladies, but it speaks volumes into the edification and the encouragement that Paul wants to model and encourage as we live inside of the church. And in corporate America, it's easy to handle. We just move on, right? We find a new job. Maybe your employer shuffles around the workplace a little bit. You try to get out of eyesight into a new cubicle from that person that rubs you the wrong way but not so in the church of God, right? This is what Paul has already stated. If you remember in chapter one, he said, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so when we are in sin or we are against a brother, or maybe you're just mad, that does not excuse the believer from abounding in love is what Paul is saying. It does not excuse me from pursuing purity and blamelessness because I've been offended or I've offended you. But rather it's a call for us to remember that we have been filled, what does that say? with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And this is to be the glory, to the glory and praise of God when we walk this out. And yet, Paul knows that walking faithfully is hard. It's not an easy thing to do. So as you heard what Ashley just read, Paul's addressing something most of us have probably walked through before at this point in our lives a disagreement or maybe a hurdle that you can't quite get over with a family member, coworker, friend. And so rather than just calling out these women and shaming them, like get your stuff together, right? He doesn't do that. He gives them a different set of tools. Most of us 
don't want to address our feuds. It's easier to run away from that scenario. But what does Paul do here? He doesn't pull them off to the side or even run from the hard conversation, but rather he calls other people into it. And he lets the gospel saturate that conversation. And we have no idea who this faithful companion is. If you'll look in there, he, he refers to someone as a faithful companion or a faithful co-laborer in Christ. Uh, he, he writes that in verse three. And we don't know who Clement is or all the other brothers and sisters, but what we do know is that Paul rallies these brothers and sisters around this pain point that is happening in this community. It's obviously affected the community, so he addresses it. And in verses two and three, he doubles down on three things. First, Paul leans hard into the idea that disunity cannot last or exist in the church of God. Disunity cannot last in the church of God. When we, were, when we are out of fellowship with one another, it flies in the face of everything that God has created us to be. But things come up, right? We've seen that in Paul's life. He did this with Peter. We know that Paul and Barnabas probably had similar clashing of ministries, possibly as Euodia and Syntyche were having here. A difference in opinion that has caused a rift relationally. So even in the midst of a dispute or disagreement, the call in our lives is to make every effort. To walk in unity, blameless, as Paul says, filled with the fruit of righteousness, even when everything is not right. Even when everything is not right, we can still be faithful to bring glory and praise to God. We don't get to throw the gospel out the window just because we have been hurt or things get off track. We don't forget the beauty of how our Savior humbled himself as a servant. He gave up his life for us and made a way for us even while we are against him. But I think when this truth transforms who we are, we see this in scripture, I've seen it here as the gospel takes root in our lives, where we were once dead, but we are now alive in Christ, the gospel leads out. It bleeds out into everything that we do. And when you look at that gospel, when I see that happening and what the Lord did through Jesus, and I'm able to trust what he's already done to unite us to him, then the things that rise up between you and I should be nothing in comparison, right? That brings a lot of hope into a lot of our despair, that he's already made a way. So Paul calls us into agreement here to have this same mind, which is the same language he used in Philippians 2, 2 through 5. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant to you than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So looking at this text that we're in today, he doesn't take a side here. I think that's really, I don't know, wise, interesting at the same time, but he instead calls friends into this scenario to show how important these two ladies are, not only to his life, but also to the growth of the church. He knew, I, he had to have known that if he drops their names in this, that is embarrassing. He knows that it's going to be read in front of the whole church. 
but he trusted the Lord to continue to be faithful even in the midst of hard conversations, not allowing sin to have the upper hand. And so unity and honoring the Lord is worth entering into the mess. Jesus was the living example of this, right? They looked into a space riddled with our mess and fighting and opinion, but unity in Jesus, it wasn't costless, it was costly, right? But it also comes with God's provision of power and hope. And so there was no room, as we see, as Paul writes, there's no room in his mind going forward that these ladies, these fellow companions of the faith could continue in their God-given roles and gifting if pride and division were between them. So he doesn't let it linger. And then secondly, not only does gospel citizenship promote unity, but it affirms who we are. And so in this culture that they're living, it didn't give a lot of status to not only Christians, but also not to women. And so Paul does not discredit them here in any way, nor does he approach their current issues or leadership in the church any differently than he would to men in the same scenario. And so we see his heart for these women when he says they have equal share in eternity. Let's read verse three, Philippians four, verse three. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And I love that. It says book of life, which would have been a pretty standard idea for Paul's Jewish heritage where the faithful children of God would long for their names to be written in the book of life. We see that in the Psalms. We see that heavily through Revelation, that those who are against the Lord, their names will be blotted out. But I love the mention of the book of life here because he says of all these people, they have their names written in eternity with God. So he's not worried about their souls. And he's not saying also, to watch out for these ladies like he did for some of the other leaders that he's already talked about. He's not calling them dogs, right? He, they're not gonna lead them astray. That's not the issue that he's discussing, discussing. The issue at hand may not affect their eternal condition, but he still mentions it, right? He didn't write the chapter about it, but we have this little moment that he knows that their discord or whatever is happening between them will affect their days here on earth. And so he's concerned. We see that in his language here. And I think this is how gospel community plays out. We've done this together. Things have come up between each other. We've called each other out. It's painful at times. Other times we just move on, right? We address it and let's move on. But Paul is, he's affirming them. He's not telling them that they have made a mess of this, he's, they've screwed this up eternally, right? Or that they're feuding second-rate citizens. It's not his language. But as he says, they're vital counterparts in this family of faith, friends, female leaders in the church. And so this wasn't necessarily an indictment on their character, but a call for help for two sisters he cared deeply about, and he knew their position affected the community. He wouldn't have called them out otherwise. And so Paul places emphasis on unity, like he has so far, and he affirms their character and importance. And thirdly, 
Paul doesn't just make this a personal matter. It's already became something public. And it's not just about Euodia and Syntyche, but he calls them out making this now a corporate matter. As I said earlier, we see him do this with Peter and Barnabas. Whether they were wrong or butting heads, he doesn't call Peter out to be a punk or to embarrass him, but rather he's affirming the call on Peter's life to remind him this is a corporate affair. Paul doesn't just sweep things under the rug, but calls it out publicly when necessary. He doesn't do this all the time, but when it's affecting the community, especially when it's leaders, he calls it out. And so for the next 2,000 years, the church has a clear example of how important godly character or personal holiness is especially for leadership in the church. Sin and pride have no place in the kingdom of God. And so the gospel leads out. That is Paul's constant thing. I've said this before, it's just the drumbeat that he just keeps hitting over and over. The gospel must lead. But obviously, he's sitting in jail, and this word has got back to him that something's not right with these two sisters. So he calls on brothers and sisters to step in and help these ladies. He doesn't say, fix it. That's not what he says in this scripture. He doesn't even give suggestions of what to do, but he simply says, help. He trusts the church that God has equipped them to help. And so he encourages them to engage. It's the same word that we see when Eve is given to Adam as help, bringing peace and rest into something that was missing. Help isn't second rate. God is often, if you read in the Psalms and other scriptures, he's referred to as our help and our place of refuge. And so there's no shame in being helped or being the helper. We are to be each other's help. That's what God's made us to be. And when our issues start to affect the church as a whole, Paul gives us this clear encouragement and way to approach struggle with grace. And then later we'll see in the last few verses of our text, saturated in prayer. Those go hand in hand. And so in just verses two and three, we see a focus on unity, affirmation, and this passionate emphasis on corporate responsibility to each other. And it reminds me of Romans 12. If Jeremy McCowan was here, he would laugh because I always talk about Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So by design, God has created us to live in harmony. And for his glory, he will work through our messes and our weaknesses to overcome our sin, to declare his power and wisdom. Where sin wants to come in and erode these beautiful things that we get to partake of, the good news shuts that down quickly. Where sin absolutely robs and breaks everything it touches. God love, God's love restores, regenerates, and overcomes. And so what Paul is doing here, this is a call to be aware. If we aren't aware with our coworkers, 
it wears us down. Sin loves to find a cozy little place in that work scenario. If we don't pay attention, if I don't pay attention to my mind when constantly under the weight of social media and how that affects my decisions and my depression and my ego, then sin is waiting to devour me, is what scripture says. If I'm not conscious of the food that I put in my body, of how that affects my energy, how it affects my body, then it will rule over me. And so scripture is continually calling the believer to stay focused and alert. This is Paul's message as well. That is something that he hits over and over. Be aware, be ready to consciously make decisions that are not based in emotion or short-term gain, but for God's glory and the edification of the church. And sin is tricky. It loves to come at different angles. And often, the beauty of what we get to do here is that we can grow and mature in our awareness simply through having friends, that they become our awareness. They help us mature. They put us first, and when we're weak in certain areas or blinded in certain areas, they are our eyes and our ears, our help, And so what Paul is continually warning them is apart from this community that God has ordained and designed us to be blessed by, we miss out on those rich blessings if we're not in it. We reference this verse, it's pretty much weekly at this point, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We need that reminder. But if we have everything we need already, why do our hearts deviate? Why can sin around us cause us, cause our hearts and minds to grow weak or numb? Here's what Jesus says in a warning in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He'll go on to say, but take heart for I have overcame the world. But he says, in the world you will have tribulation. We're still in the world. So therefore we will have tribulation. As God said to Cain, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, is what the NIV says. I think the ESV says, or is contrary to you. It is not for you, but you must rule over it, it being (coughs) sin. And so God hasn't fooled us into thinking this life on this earth is a cakewalk. That is not, he's given us clear indications of what we will go against. It's clear that wherever we go, sin is waiting. If we go alone, we won't make it. If we don't fall under God's blessing through unity with each other, it doesn't go well. And he gives us many examples through scripture to go with that. If we submit to the knowledge of this world and forego the knowledge of God, then the opposite of what 2 Peter 1, the opposite is true of what 2 Peter 1 says that the blessings and being granted everything we need will not be true for us. We miss that apart from submission to the Lord. So he's not a God that has fooled us. 
He's not a God who tells us exactly what to do and then he punishes us if we get out of line. That's not how he works. Joy and peace are infused in every part of God's word and creation because he is our peace. He is our joy. He has created us for his, for his glory. In our sin, it's the word gospel that we always talk about, he has rescued us. It's the good news. That's why we say it so much because it is the word that we preach on and stand on. That at our worst, he died the death we should have paid. And this isn't like a nice bedtime story. Often the story of Christ is left out of kids' stories because it's, it's brutal, right? That this was real blood, real death, real pain. That the son of God had a funeral. Have you thought of that? You've been to funerals. They're not fun. I've never went to a funeral. I was like, that was really good. <laughs> There's been some beautiful funerals that I reflect on and say, man, the Lord was honored. But I never like it. I always walk away kind of angry. Like, God, how long? Are we going to do this forever? But listen to this. Sin has eternal consequences. But the gospel has more. The gospel always has the upper hand. Romans 6, through 23. Kelsey reminded me of this this week or yesterday. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. That's gospel. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This gospel call is this constant warning against the power of Satan and sin in our own hearts. And yet simultaneously, it's a call to humble ourselves and to come and to, to find rest, to submit ourselves to God who walks with us in this life and the next. And then just hear the rest of this in chapter four, verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So not only is this a call to be alert, but it's a call to also engage. It's a, it's a call to arms. It's a call to lay down these weapons that we continue to pick up of complaints. And he says, put those down. Instead, pick up thanksgiving and rejoicing. It's a passionate encouragement to take your eyes off yourself and place them on Jesus, the only one who takes all fear away. Paul says, do not be anxious about what? What does that say? Anything? Oh, you're thinking, Carrie, I'm anxious about everything, right? <laughs> then let's pull people in and pray and pray and pray. It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which that is not just a, hey, I need some help, right? That is a begging of the Lord from a humble position. I've got nothing. You have everything and I need you. If you don't come through, I'm not going to make it. 
Make your desires and requests and hurt known to the Lord. It says reveal them. You're angry? He already knows. Tell him. Why? Why would I do that? Because you are powerless to overcome. And you have a world watching to see how your life has been changed by the power of this living God who rose victorious over sin and death. And if he conquered death, then surely he can deal with your anger. He can deal with your lust. He can deal with your trauma, your unforgiveness, your laziness. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How rich is that for Yodia and Syntyche or Syntich? We don't know. How rich is it for them to hear their names, but then it's followed by this scripture, right? Reflect on their dispute or issue and fast track that reconciliation. That was Paul's heart. He didn't call them out to embarrass them. He envisioned spiritual renewal for these sisters through this scripture that he just read or wrote, even at the cost of embarrassment or temporary shame. For humbling ourselves and taking up God's understanding allows peace to guard our hearts and our minds. We can't afford to hide sin any longer. Neither could these two sisters. We can't seek comfort in places other than God. We won't find it. It only brings discomfort. And so there's this rich blessing available if we would just take hold of what Paul's encouraging us here at the end of Philippians. It doesn't matter your family history, your family upbringing, past choices. As he said last week, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's straining. That's not a passive word, right? It's, it's this progression in our faith and a call to put these things into practice and watch God radically change our hearts and our minds. And so for many of us, I honestly think we just need more time in his word. For others of us, we have some deep trauma with either family members or past churches or relationships, and we're starving for friendship. We're starving for counsel. That might mean meeting with a friend or asking us about counseling. That's essentially, if you look at this text, why Clement is mentioned here. These ladies obviously couldn't get past whatever it was and it got to the ears of Paul. And so Paul calls in a third party to mitigate and foster movement and growth and unity. We have uh, seven counselors here at Christ Church. That's crazy. This is like a rich time to be here and yet it's not enough. Like we've, it, we've benefited from it so much, but I wish you were all counselors. But the work that the Lord is using, not just here, but is using for other people because of the counselors here is really beautiful. That's there for you. These people, men and women, have gone through training in school for you, not for themselves, for you, to talk through life, to deal with those things. Uh, our ladies are going through the book of James right now on Tuesday night. I would encourage you men and women and children to go camp out in chapters two and three right now and just see the call to put away these relational struggles and instead rest, enjoy the peace and understanding that God gives us through this gospel call, this good news of Jesus Christ. 
And so it's a work. Paul is saying this isn't passive. This is straining. And he's saying put in the work of the gospel. Because if you don't, if we don't put off these other things that easily take up space in our minds and our calendars. And I think some of you just said, how dare you? That's my calendar, right? Y'all are calendar people. But rather, let the things of this world, if we let the things of this world rule over our minds, then the text goes on to say, if you'll look at these next few verses, if we don't let God rule our hearts and our calendars and our space, it doesn't go well. But Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, think about these things, practice these things. And speaking of Jeremy earlier, he is the director of Better Days. That is a counseling uh, organization that we support at Christ Church, and many of our counselors here work through them as well. And I was just looking at their website because our counseling is growing here, and we're trying to kind of streamline, or not streamline, but maybe speak about who we are in a more clear way, what we are offering and what the Lord does through biblical counseling. So I was on their website, and this line stuck out to me. It says, the more we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more we are equipped to glorify God and enjoy God in all things. I'm going to say that again. The more we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more we are equipped to glorify God and enjoy God in all things. The more we, it's not the more that we work out, the more closure we get on family drama, the tidier our homes may be, but it says the more we are conformed to the image of Christ. The gospel, this message that Paul is praying over this church, it affirms, it equips, and it frees us up to glorify God and enjoy God in all areas of our lives. And we want to see that for every man, woman, and child, not only in this room, but as scripture says, for the healing of the nations. That's our position. And God chose for that gospel mission to take root through the church, through us. Going back to that Romans passage, it's laying down our lives as one body in Christ, it says, and individually members of one another. And Paul says this is to the glory and praise. You are to the glory and praise of our God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is powerful. I thank you for Jesus Christ. God, I pray that these songs would just be the anthem of what our hearts are crying for right now. Father, that if we're in a space of need, that you would fill us. That if we are in a place of rejoicing, that you would be our song. God, I ask that you would give the leadership of this church humility and wisdom that goes beyond our years. 
Father, to hear Paul's encouragement to this church and calling out leadership and saying, get it right. Not just to get things right, but to bring you glory. And so I pray that as a body, we would work together, that we would humble ourselves, that when we have something wrong or in between a relationship in this room, that maybe we would not sing these songs and go talk to a brother or sister. That we would humble ourselves because when we are right with each other, we are right with you. Father, if we hate our brother, we hate you, is what scripture says, and I pray that would not be so in your church. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in our unity here this morning. And we pray it through the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.